Jesus is going to feed the crowd, but he's inviting the disciples, you can come and join me with what I'm doing. Jesus is going to share with them, this is what I'm doing, come and join me. Which by the way, that's the only way that God's people ever do any true ministry, is by joining God in what God is doing. But don't we so often get that backwards? So five loaves and two fish, verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So he commands them all to sit down. Why did Jesus do this? Well, I think two reasons. One is a very practical, pragmatic sort of reason. We all have seen the images or videos, haven't we, of a hungry crowd and the food truck shows up and the back of the food truck opens and what happens? About six people get everything and the rest of the people are left with nothing. So I don't think Jesus wants that to happen, but that's a secondary, I would say, pragmatic sort of reason. I think the real thing that's going on here is Jesus is once again hearkening us back to Moses. Because you'll remember when Moses was instructed to divide the people and sit the people down in a similar fashion. So Jesus, I, I think, is once again hearkening us back to Moses. You remember all the connections we talked about last week? The connections with the Old Testament. So he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Luke's gospel said that Jesus commanded the disciples to have them sit down. So what Jesus is doing, he's inviting the disciples to come and join him. Jesus is going to feed the crowd, but he's inviting the disciples, you can come and join me with what I'm doing. Jesus is going to share with them, this is what I'm doing, come and join me. Which, by the way, that's the only way that God's people ever do any true ministry, is by joining God in what God is doing. But don't we so often get that backwards? I mean, exactly backwards. Don't we so often take the approach, we want to do this for God. We want to start a a food truck, or we want to start a food kitchen, or we want to start a blood bank, or we want to start a, 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 a whatever. And let's ask God to help us to do this. You see how that's the reverse? But Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. Come and join me. Have the crowd sit down. He involves them in what he's doing. Now, this is, I think, the key for us to understand why it is, we mentioned last Sunday, why we're told that this is the second time that the apostles We specifically were told they didn't have time to eat. Isn't that strange that Mark twice now has said that the apostles did not have time to eat? Do you remember that episode in John's Gospel in John chapter 4 when they come to Jesus, the apostles come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we noticed you hadn't eaten. How about some food? Why don't you eat some food? And remember Jesus' response? I have food that you don't know about. My food is to do the work of my Father. I think we can read this in connection to say, this is what Jesus is drawing the disciples into. Jesus says, my sustenance is to do the work of the Father. Twice we're told that the apostles didn't have time for sustenance. But yet Jesus brings them on this little trip. And don't think for one minute that Jesus was surprised that a crowd was waiting for him. But he takes them on this little trip 
when they were supposed to be getting their rest. So here's the question. Did the disciples rest or not? The temptation is to say, oh, those poor disciples, they missed the, They needed a day of rest and they didn't get it. But the larger point is that Jesus is inviting the disciples to find their deepest sustenance, just as He does, to find their deepest sustenance in doing the will of God. Now that is not to say that God does not value physical rest and command us to physical rest. God created the passing of time in such a way as to have built-in cycles, six days, one day, six days, one day, built-in cycles for rest. So God believes that you should rest. Nevertheless, isn't there a greater truth here to be seen? And the greater truth is Jesus is inviting the disciples, come with me and experience the deeper rest of pouring yourself out in service to God and His kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so this is what Jesus is inviting them to do. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Did you think when you read through that story why it was that Mark said green grass? Did that sort of stand out as odd to you that Mark mentions green grass? And then furthermore, did it seem a little more odd that we were told that this is in a desert? Twice we were told this is in a desert, an Aramos, wilderness, deserted place. But yet we're told that they were commanded to sit not just on grass, but green grass. Mark's the only one who adds that detail. Matthew tells us that they, they sat on the grass. John tells us that they sat down because there was much grass. Only Mark tells us that there was green grass. So they were told to sit on the green grass. What do you think that might be saying to us? You think that might be drawing us to think about the shepherd psalm? You know the shepherd psalm, we usually call it the 23rd psalm, in which we're told, He makes me to lie down on green grass. Do you think that maybe Mark Puts that there by Peter, by way of Peter. Peter tells him, put in there, Mark. He told us to, to sit them down and the grass was green. Here's, not, here's what Mark is not saying. Mark is not saying that Jesus miraculously created an oasis in the desert for these people to sit on. That's not what he's saying. That's not the point. Instead, the point is that we see that what Mark is thinking about, what Peter is thinking about is the shepherd song. He is the great shepherd who makes me lie down on green pastures. And here he made us sit the people down on green grass. Do you see the connection? I saw that connection and it made me start thinking over the last two weeks as I was thinking through this message. It made me start start thinking. That is a clear connection to the shepherd psalm. And this way, Jesus is a fulfillment of the 23rd psalm. What the 23rd Psalm spoke of, the Lord is my shepherd. And then the 23rd Psalm goes on to give all these statements that are true because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He uh, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. All these statements that are true because the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this statement. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I started to think, well, what other statements is Jesus also the perfect fulfillment of? And so I just sat down and I began to think of them. I put them in your, in your notes. I put them on a separate sheet. Because I thought, well, I don't know, maybe somebody might want to take that and put it in your Bible at the 23rd Psalm and maybe meditate on this. We don't have to go through all this. In fact, we cannot go through all this because you see, each one of these lines is a sermon in itself. Because each one of these lines here of the shepherd's psalm are instances that God brought to my mind of how Jesus was a specific fulfillment of the, of the shepherd's psalm, of the 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, the shepherd, the good shepherd, is brokenhearted over the shepherdless condition of the sheep. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10 is foundational. It's fundamental where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Parables of the lost sheep we could talk about. Feed my sheep, Jesus says to Peter. But because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me think of, well, do not be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious for what you're going to drink or what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Your father knows you need these things and he'll provide them for you. Or, of course, the food multiplication miracles. We could talk about Jesus describing himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Again, he commanded them to sit on the green grass. Or we could think perhaps of the care given by the Good Samaritan to the one who had been beaten. He leads me beside still waters. I thought of Jesus calming the storm in just the previous chapter. Or we could talk about Jesus walking on stormy waters to the disciples in order to calm their fearful hearts. He restores my soul. Is there a greater instance of a restored soul than the man known as Legion, whose soul was in unspeakable torment, and Jesus restores his soul to perfect peace? He leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, I thought of well the whole Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus teaches These are the paths of righteousness. But He not only teaches that, He calls people to follow Him in that. As He says in John 10, My sheep hear My voice, they recognize My voice, and they follow Me. Or we could talk about Jesus' continued instruction through the Spirit. Or we could talk about how Peter himself describes the Good Shepherd. He himself was our example for us to follow in 1 Peter chapter 2. Even though, now on the back page, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, I thought of when Jesus rebuked his disciples for fearing drowning, for their fear of dying on the water. And Jesus rebukes their fear. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, they were certainly in the valley of death. Jesus says, uh, you will not fear. Or I thought about Jesus' battle with the tempter in the wilderness where He goes to battle against the fear of death for us. Or Jesus' battle in the garden. Or I thought of Jesus' resurrections in which our greatest fear, our greatest enemy, the enemy of death, is the enemy that He shows us, "I, I have power over that enemy. I have power over all of these enemies, most especially the enemy of death, and I will show it to you by raising these people back from the dead. For you are with me. I thought of Jesus' radical redefinition of family 
In John chapter 3, or in Mark chapter 3, where his apostles, his disciples are there with him and his biological family comes and they can't get to him, he sends them away to say, I will not leave these people to go with you. These are my people. I will not leave them. They are with me. Or I thought of... uh, I thought of the Mount of Transfiguration, the whole Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James and John saying, let's build tents so that you can stay here with us. Or I thought about the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. I have shown you the father, he says in John 14, that that they may be one as you and I are one. John 17 or John 14. I go to prepare a place for you that you may be with me or we could go on and on for your rod and your staff. They comfort me now. For this, John chapter 10 is fundamental because in John chapter 10, there's that extended teaching in which Jesus calls himself two things. He says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm the true door. And he contrasts himself against the thief and the robber who are here to steal and abuse and the wolves who are here to destroy you. He says, I'm here to protect you against those because I'm the good shepherd. I am the true door. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, I thought about the Passover that Jesus turns into the supper and how Jesus' enemies are, in a sense, at the gate because they will arrest him that night. While Jesus is breaking bread with his disciples, Judas is conspiring to kill him. So he prepares this table or I thought about the the feast that Jesus prepared in the home of Levi as the enemies are right outside talking about them. Why is he eating with that sinner? Or I thought about uh, the feast for the welcoming home feast for the prodigal son as the enemy who is the elder son is right outside seething about the whole thing. Or I thought about uh, the feast for the marriage, fe- the marriage festival for the lamb. Or you anoint my head with oil. So in this, I thought about Jesus' sending of the Spirit to the church. You anoint my head with oil. What could be a greater fulfillment of that than Jesus' giving of the Spirit to the church? Or Jesus' breathing of the Spirit onto the apostles in John chapter 20. Or I thought about also the care of the Good Samaritan as we're told specifically that he pours oil, he anoints oil on the injured man. My cup overflows. Well, I thought about the water to, the wine, water to wine miracle there. Or I thought about uh, when Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew who was speaking to you, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying these things to you, you would be asking me for living water that will well up within you into springs that would never ex- be exhausted. Or I thought once again of the feast of the prodigal son who returns, or of course the marriage festival of the lamb. Now what what uh, what these are, this is not exhaustive. This is what God brought to my mind. But I assure you, this is not all. And so perhaps you might want to take this and you might want to think and pray over this and have God show you other ways, other specific ways in which Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the shepherd psalm. The shepherd psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd and because he is my shepherd, this, 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 and this. And Jesus comes and does all those things. Maybe you won't look at Psalm 23 again in the same way. Psalm 23, the most beloved psalm. How can you know God and not love Psalm 23? We know Psalm 23 is speaking of the care of our Father. But the perfect fulfillment of the Father's shepherdly care is Jesus. And He shows it meticulously in every way. So perhaps we can come back together on Wednesday 
And God has shown us more fulfillments of how Jesus is the fulfillment of the shepherd king. He is the shepherd king. He is the fulfillment of this. Ezekiel 34 verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search out for my sheep, and I will seek them out. Or Isaiah 40 and verse 11, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. 